Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Oklahoma tribes are locked in an ongoing struggle with the state over basic issues of sovereignty. Those struggles are playing out in a closely watched governor's race. At the same time, the state is likely to add to the number of Native members of Congress, all Republicans in the coming election. We'll talk with journalists and political watchers from Oklahoma about the state's unique political position. We'll hear more right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Blackfeet traditionalists and conservation groups on Wednesday appealed a federal court decision that reinstated a controversial lease in the Badger II medicine. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton reports this is the latest court filing in a decades-long battle over oil and gas development in the traditional homeland of the Blackfeet Nation in northwest Montana. The roughly 165,000-acre Badger II medicine is a section of the Lewis and Clark National Forest along the Rocky Mountain front. The landscape is sacred to the Blackfeet people and is popular with recreationists and hunters. A decades-long battle over dozens of oil and gas leases within the Badger took a major step in 2016, when the federal government canceled any remaining leases, including one owned by Louisiana-based Solonex. In September, a federal court ruled that Solonex's lease must be reinstated, saying the federal government lacked the authority to cancel the lease. The Pecani Traditionalist Association, which preserves Blackfeet culture, along with several conservation groups, appealed that ruling to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. They maintain that like many other leases issued in the region in the 1980s, the Solonex lease lacked an environmental assessment and was therefore issued illegally. In Columbia Falls, I'm Aaron Bolton. A cannabis policy session at the National Congress of American Indians Annual Convention in Sacramento, California, was well attended Wednesday. The Indigenous Cannabis Industry Association spoke about advancing tribal sovereignty and Indian self-determination in cannabis. The discussion looked at strategies and priorities in federal cannabis reform. ICIA's founder Rob Perro says the turnout for the session shows there's much interest in the cannabis industry in Indian country. Well, it's it's been changing for years. Um, what we wanted to do with ICIA was provide a platform for people to actually have discussions about it, like who's doing what, um, who needs help here, who needs help there, and how can we fill the voids in you know, our development of the cannabis industry just in general. The narrative is uh, ramping up. The session featured special guest Gary Farmer. The musician and actor is known for his role as Uncle Brownie in the TV series Reservation Dogs. Farmer talked about his support for the cannabis industry. NCAI continues Thursday with focus on water rights, the Indian Child Welfare Act, Indian education, climate resilience, the Farm Bill, and how to resolve tribal U.S. disputes. Higher education leaders, especially advocates for tribal colleges and universities, say they hope to see strong turnout for the midterms. They hope Native voters research candidates who would make more funding a priority so these schools could have more of a firm financial footing. Mike Moen has more. Cheryl Crazy Bull with the American Indian College Fund says because most of these schools are on reservations, they can't rely on state support, only federal funding. We need people in Congress who support Native higher education. 
so that we can get the kinds of resources that we need. She says additional support can also help address gaps in Native students seeking financial aid. Jacob MacArthur leads economic development for the White Earth Tribal Government. He attended his area's community college before moving on to a mainstream university. He says tribal schools, or TCUs, serve as a great bridge, especially for non-traditional students, whether they finish at another school or fill needed roles within their community. Our TCUs are really important for um, you know, workforce development. You know, it, it isn't just about the two-year degree and putting you on the path to, towards that four-year degree. According to the Gallup-Purdue Index, nearly 75% of tribal college alumni said they were employed in areas related to American Indian communities or tribal lands, and many worked directly with their tribe. That was Mike Mullen, and I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Do you know how to help someone having a seizure? Join us for National Epilepsy Awareness Month and become Seizure First Aid Certified at epilepsy.com slash first aid or call 1-800-332-1000 today. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB, who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Several of Oklahoma's largest tribes are taking an unusual stance, actively working to unseat Republican incumbent governor and Cherokee Nation citizen, Kevin Stitt. Principal Chief of the Cherokee Nation, Chuck Hoskin Jr. calls Governor Stitt the most anti-Native governor in Oklahoma history. Chief Hoskin and other tribal leaders are highlighting concerns over sovereignty and other key tribal issues this election. Tribes remain at odds with Stitt over gaming compacts and jurisdiction, among other things. At the same time, the state is poised to elect another Native American candidate to Congress, which would bring the total number of Native Americans in the Oklahoma congressional delegation to three. And there's plenty more to watch in the coming days and months as political and legal battles continue to play out. We'll hear about that this hour. And of course, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Please join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. You can also leave a comment on our social media. Our Twitter handle, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us first from Oklahoma is Allison Herrera. She is an Indigenous Affairs reporter at KOSU. She is Salinan. Allison, welcome back to Native America Calling. Thank you for having me, Sean. Allison, election just a week away, 39 tribes in the state of Oklahoma, 14% of Native voters in Oklahoma identify as Native American uh, are you sitting on pins and needles now, just kind of counting the, the hours and, and until the polls open? Um, you know, uh, like you noted in your introduction, it's been a very interesting election season. And I was talking with our other guest, Sarah Gray, before uh, we came on live. And, you know, I, I had been paying attention to the election, but I hadn't been um, particularly expected to get uh, expected to cover it as much as I am now. Um, and that is because, uh, as you noted again in your introduction, that the five tribes 
uh, is officially endorsed Joy Hoffmeister. Um, uh, that's Governor Kevin, uh, Governor Kevin Stitt's opponent in this election. And I think it started with the Osage Nation um, uh, early in September, passing this, I'm sorry, early in October, passing this resolution calling for the immediate repeal of House Bill 1775. That's Oklahoma's um, anti-critical race theory bill. And they felt that that bill um, has really created an atmosphere of Fear in public schools where a lot of um, Native families send their children to go to school. And they were really compelled to do this because a Dewey public school teacher said that she wouldn't teach Killers of the Flower Moon for fear that her license would be in jeopardy mm -hmm. um, with the way that she wanted to teach it. And they were really concerned about that. That's a, you know, uh, as we know, that's um, that you know, there's a movie coming out about it, that this is like an important part of Oklahoma public, o Oklahoma history. So then the five tribes passed, uh, the Intertribal Council of the Five Tribes passed a similar resolution. And then the following week, they endorsed Hoffmeister at this, uh, at this event. And, you know, to my knowledge, this is the first time that tribal nations have entered into politics in such a public way. Uh, I, I just saw the other day, too, that the Kiowa tribe um, also end endorsed Hoffmeister. And, and, you know, you mentioned the gaming compacts. You know, Stitt has had a very frosty relationship with the tribes um, right. over the last few years uh, because of the the Castro Huerta, um, the, the petition to the Supreme Court to overturn McGirt, and then that turned into the question of the state having concurrent jurisdiction and, and, win and winning that case um, before the Supreme Court last summer. And then the fight over the gaming compacts, that's another very big issue. In fact, I, I wrote a story just last week that um, that revealed that the governor has hired additional outside counsel from Washington, D.C. to resurrect these gaming compacts that he signed with four other tribes outside of the model gaming compact that is legal in, in Oklahoma. And that has really angered tribes. Um, mm -hmm. Tribes have a really huge impact on the economy in Oklahoma. So, uh -huh. yeah, it, it's a very big deal. And, and Alison, I want to ask you about, you know, because 14 percent Native voters uh, identifying in Oklahoma as Native American. How significant are, are those Native votes next week? I mean, they're really significant. I mean, that has the power to uh, push the election one way or another. I mean, I, I saw the polls today um, for the Stitt and, Hoff, uh, Stitt and Hoffmeister. They're within one point of each other. And I think there's a four point, there's a point or two margin of error. And then you have, I think, four percent of, uh, a few percent of people voting, uh, saying, identifying as independent. And I've heard back from a number of indigenous voters that, you know, KOSU has reached out to. And top of mind is tribal sovereignty and having somebody in the governor's office that will be willing to work with the tribes. Allison, we continue to see increasing political polarization in this country. And I want to know, is that trend among Oklahoma's native voters, too? Do they align themselves with political parties to the, extent, to the same extent as mainstream voters? Um, you know, it's interesting that you asked that question. I did. I talked with somebody from the Brookings Institution um, Institute the other day for the story I wrote, and I asked. We we were talking about you know how in, you know the, some of the studies and the polling that he's done about 
Native voters and, uh, and crossing party lines and feeling and wanting to vote for somebody that will protect their tribal interest, meaning that it doesn't necessarily align with one party or another, but a candidate that will um, that will stand up for their tribal interests. And so, you know, tribal sovereignty, that's a very big issue um, in Oklahoma with the McGirt decision um, and the gaming compacts. So I'm not necessarily, I don't, I haven't heard a lot of like polarizing comments from the voters that I've spoken to. Mainly what they're concerned about is education. Um, that's another very big issue on the ballot, uh, that, uh, that's on the ballot or, you know, that is being talked about in this election, you know, um, they, uh, you know, there's a voucher system that the governor has proposed that a, a lot of voters feel would be a killer to rural schools. And, and in a lot of cases, that's the lifeblood of smaller communities. That's an, that's an economic engine. And I think indigenous voters in the state are really concerned about that as well. Allison, I read in one of your articles, um, there are a number of Native voters in Oklahoma that are really concerned about the economy right now, you know, with inflation and decreasing asset values, other factors, and they're taking an especially heavy toll on Native families and communities. Do you think that the economy could potentially supersede some of these other issues like sovereign rights, education, criminal jurisdiction, other tribal concerns Native voters might also care about? Um, I have heard that people are concerned about the economy. And again, I'll, I'm going to go back to what, you know, they're concerned about that, but they are also concerned about tribal sovereignty and concerned about education, those social issues. And one voter I, I talked with said, you know, I, I am concerned about the economy, but we need somebody in the office that's going to work with the tribes because tribes have a really big economic footprint in, in rural places in Oklahoma. In fact, they're some of the largest employers in the state. A 2019 study that I reported on earlier this year said that tribes have a $15.6 billion impact on the state. That's And they employ more than 54,000 people in all sectors, you know, talking about like working for the government, working in casinos, working in other tribal businesses. And, and one thing that Matthew Morgan, he's the, um, the executive director of the Oklahoma Indian Gaming Association said to, to me and has said, um, you know, to other people that, you know, this is an industry that tribes are an industry that are not leaving the state, like you would have a, a car manufacturer or a battery manufacturer, you know, a, uh -huh. an electric battery manufacturer. That's not going to go away. <laughs> tribes are there, you know. Right. Right. Allison, uh, I'm curious. I mean, there's so much buzz right now in Oklahoma. And I think a big thing uh, or a big factor here is that the tribes are, you know, are involved in this election. So seriously to unseat Governor Stitt. And, and are, are people talking about that a lot? And do you think that's one of the reasons why uh, we're hearing so much about the native vote right now in Oklahoma? Oh, um, for sure. I, I Without a doubt. Um, I'm, and I think, uh, you know, you will, con you know, I think you'll continue to, to hear them talk. I mean, if, if he gets elected, I think it's still going to be an issue. And, and take it, and here's another um, thing, you know, we haven't really talked about the attorney general's race because it's not really, um, you know, Gettner Drummond um, won the primary election this last um, June. In fact, like right before the Castro Huerta decision came out. And he positioned himself as being very pro-tribal sovereignty. And in fact, you know, I remember 
the Choctaw Nation, um, Chief Gary Batten, congratul you know, congratulating him and and saying that this was a win for tribal sovereignty. So if Skit does win, he's going to have an attorney general in that office that isn't that is very going to not going to be like John O'Connor, the current attorney general who filed all of those petitions to the Supreme Court for um, Castro Huerta, you know. Uh, uh, get Drummond positions himself as being a friend to the tribes, although I will say that that's, um, you know, he has a very complicated relationship with the Osage Nation. But, um, you know, I think it, it's going to be interesting no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. Allison, uh, another quick question, uh, and this is another thing that interests me a lot, that Oklahoma gubernatorial candidate Joy Hoffmeister, she actually switched parties to run against incumbent Kevin Stitt. I mean, she was a Republican. So do, do any of the tribes have, have concerns? Or are they worried about where her political loyalties ultimately lie? I haven't. I mean, there's a few people that we reached out to that said that they're not going to vote for her, that they're, you know, Republican. They're going to vote Republican down the ticket. Um, that's just what they believe in. They don't want to vote for a Democrat or they're not going to vote at all. They don't like either choice. Um, that's, you know, there's a few people that said that. So that can't be discounted. Um, I think you know, um, I, I'm not sure that there is any, like, concern about her, you know, switching parties or loyalties. I think really, the, again, the, the biggest issue is having somebody that's going to be okay. able to work with the tribe. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Folks, it's a great show today. We're talking all about uh, the upcoming election next week in Oklahoma. If you've got a question, if you've got a comment, what are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. The game of stickball comes from North American indigenous people and local and national leagues continue the tradition. It's a combination of fierce competition and cultural connection. We'll learn more about the history and the modern legacy of stickball. That's on the next Native America Calling. November is National Epilepsy Awareness Month. Did you know 1 in 10 people will have a seizure and 1 in 26 will develop epilepsy during their lifetime? Epilepsy is a neurological disorder that causes recurring, unprovoked seizures. Call 1-800-332-1000 to get information and resources. Visit epilepsy.com firstaid to learn about seizure first aid. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the relationship between tribes and the state of Oklahoma this hour and how it's playing out in the election and in the courts. We'd also like to hear from you, so please join the conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's hear a Native conservative perspective from Oklahoma now. NAC executive producer Art Hughes talked to Choctaw citizen Alan Wright. He is the founder and president of the public affairs firm, The Hustings Group. Wright says Stitt is an outlier in the state where all other Republicans are expected to win handily in the deep red state. There's a favorite saying I heard an attorney one time in a courtroom. Uh, he said, you can't shoot your parents and complain you're an orphan. This is a uh, self-made problem of his. He has taken on historically uh, hostile relations with the native tribes in, in Oklahoma. 
Uh, I worked for a governor, Governor Henry Bellman, uh, at the beginning of really of the uh, tribal sovereignty movement in the mid-80s where smoke shops and bingo and license plates started to emerge. And, and that was a struggle, a struggle for the state to figure that out. But there's never been a governor more hostile to Native interests than, than this governor. And so to the extent that that people are aligned to oppose that, you know, um, he, it's a problem of his own making. And is it possible? And and as I was watching that, I thought perhaps he's he's aligning himself with a particular constituency, the non-tribal vote. Is that a valid strategy? No, uh, it's not. And I think that's why you see him virtually tied uh, with uh, Joy Hoffmeister, a former Republican, changed to a Democrat in what is you know a deep deep red state at a time when nationally um, the Republicans are ascending and the Democratic Party is struggling. Uh, Every other Republican is going to win and win handily, and he's uh, very much an outlier. So I don't don't think that strategy works. The respect and appreciation for uh, the tribes in Oklahoma is is deep, and I wouldn't say universal, uh, but you'll, you'll find that in Oklahoma, People appreciate and recognize that the tribes are what make us unique. It's a distinction, not a distraction, not a delusion of, of our state. It's it's what makes us unique, uh, and I think most people agree with that. Now, there are people who are opposed to gambling, and there are people who don't understand tribal sovereignty, uh, and there's a small group of folks that I would call Indian fighters. They're just... They, they don't understand it, don't like it. They constantly push back at any expression of Native aspirations. And, but that's a very small group in Oklahoma. Right. And uh, Governor Stitt is enrolled Cherokee. Where does he fit in with your narrative of Native politicians working with the tribes in Oklahoma? He holds a unique status and one that, that is a head scratcher. And and I've had personal conversations with him. And I think I have a general sense of of his his philosophy or feeling about it. Um, And and I'm not speaking for him, but this is what I've determined in just my observations and listening to him, is that he, he views tribal governments as social and cultural entities rather than legitimate governments. Um, his view of sovereignty is is uh, elementary at best. And, um, you know, he had a, he vetoed a bill uh, where the Choctaw Nation wanted to share their public safety record with the state of Oklahoma. So, you know, people that the nation had arrested for drunk driving wouldn't get jobs as school bus drivers because the state didn't have any uh, visibility into the Choctaw Nation's public safety records. He vetoed that bill, and it was overridden by the legislature. And in his veto message, he just says, I'm not going to dilute Oklahoma sovereignty uh, to align with less transparent entities and question the legitimacy of tribal governments. And those are his words, not mine. I mean, he should win. 
actually you should win in a landslide um, given the current political circumstances. So it, even if he wins and wins narrowly, um, that's no mandate, right? Uh, to continue pursuing. That was uh, Alan Wright with the PR consulting firm, The Hustings Group. You can hear an extended version of his interview by going to nativeamericacalling.com. Let's bring in another voice into our conversation. Joining us from Muskogee, Oklahoma is Sarah Gray. She's a partner at the Muskogee Nation-based PR firm, STCom Shop. She is Cherokee Nation, Muskogee, and Kiowa. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Sean. You bet, Sarah. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about Governor Kevin Stitt because we hear all these things, you know, most anti-tribal sovereignty governor in the history of Oklahoma. Um, I mean, <laughs> here we have this person who is, is just so outside uh, the realm of, of all these Native issues that, that people are so passionate about uh, throughout Oklahoma's Native populations. Um, and here we have uh, people on the show, even a Republican who's saying, you know, this guy is just really, really uh, just just outside the pale of, of, of what a Native voter is concerned about. How do we get to this point? Uh, Sarah, how do we have a, a Native American governor in, in the form of Kevin Stitt, who is just so totally anti-tribal sovereignty and is just so against Native issues on so many levels? Where, where, where does this come from? Yeah, that's a great question. And first, I'll say I was so happy to hear Mr. Wright's interview because I agree with so much of what he says. I'm always glad whenever we can we can find common ground. Um, but we're we're at this point, first of all, I'll say because in Oklahoma we do not have a Native American governor. We have um, Kevin Stitt, who is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, but he is not Native. Okay, uh, I, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, that. I'm sorry. So wait, wait, wait. Just, let's just clarify. So even though he's an enrolled member of Cherokee Nation, you don't consider him Native American. Oh, absolutely not. And, and I, and, I would and what's your, hard what's your, to find a what's your person who does. And I'm sorry, but what's your basis on that? If he's an enrolled member of Cherokee Nation, what's your basis to say he's not Native American? So I think it's just making sure that we're being really clear about the differences between what it means to be Native American uh, and what it means to be a citizen. Because within our tribes, we are not we are not just a, a race, right? Mm -hmm. So we have black natives, we have white natives. Um, so we're we're very diverse people, but he is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, but I don't consider him Native American in the context that we're talking about here. Uh, you know, Kevin Stitt is so far removed from community and so antagonistic towards Native people. It's just very clear that he has not even the most elementary under understanding of, of what it means to be in community or what it means to be respectful of tribal sovereignty and, and the things that we've gone through to even get to this point in history. Interesting, really interesting perspective and, and appreciate you being so candid and sharing your views here on Native America Calling. Uh, so much attention, of course, being focused on this governor's race, but, uh, but Sarah, there's also uh, incumbent representative and Chickasaw citizen, Tom Cole, he's expected to win reelection. We have Cherokee citizen, Mark Wayne Mullen, who's expected to win for his bid in the Senate. Uh, we have Josh Brackeen, who's a Choctaw, favored to take Mullen's House seat. That would mean three Native candidates in the Oklahoma congressional delegation. Uh, is this historic in, in terms of how it's going to resonate with Native voters? Oh, well, as far as how it's going to resonate with Native voters, you know, that's yet to be determined. It's very complicated here. One thing I love about the Indigenous voting bloc is that 
uh, we have the ability to to truly be issue-based voters um, in a way that not a lot of folks can be. Tom Cole, uh, he really has done a lot of, of great work as far as furthering bills like the Violence Against Women Act reauthorization um, and also supporting some tribes' interests uh, in post the post-McGirt era. And that's, of course, not to say that all tribes who are impacted by McGirt are aligned uh, with their vision for the future and under the, the McGirt standard. But he has a ton of support from indig Indigenous people. Uh, Mark Wayne Mullen, I am not a supporter of his. I have a lot of frustration um, with Mark Wayne myself. I was actually at Governor Stitt's rally last night where Mark Wayne uh, introduced him. And so when we look at the folks who you align yourself with, like Kevin Stitt, who is extremely aggressive and antagonistic towards tribal interests and, and Native people, uh, you have to really question where their where their hearts are. Um, mm -hmm. Mark Wayne Mullen, if you just look at his legislative record, it proves he doesn't have Indian country's best interest at heart. It really does. Well, Sarah, I mean, so this lack of of left leaning Native candidates uh, in any of these high profile Oklahoma races. What does that say? I mean, obviously, Oklahoma, supermajority, deep, deep red state. But uh, in earlier, I mean, you said, you know, Kevin Stitt, not a Native American in your view. What about these other candidates? Would you make similar assumptions about their Native identity as well? Well, I think that we just have to go based on, you know, their own their own behavior and the, the way that they present themselves. Um, you know, Mark Wayne Mullen only mentions that he's Cherokee from everything that I've heard whenever he's out of the state. I was at the event last night, not a word about being a Cherokee Nation citizen, not a word about tribal interests, same from Kevin Stitt. So we just have to, you know, listen and, and believe folks whenever they show us who they are. What are some other really important issues that we haven't talked about yet, but we need to talk about regarding these elections next week. And also, how do Democrats find a voice uh, on some of these issues when there are so many uh, political interests that are, that are aligned against, uh, in many cases, Native, uh, Native issues? So Oklahoma is a complicated and beautiful place. You know, we have so many partisan hardliners that have forced folks to draw a line in the sand on where they're going to vote. Um, I personally am not a fan of our, our current system of, uh, of getting folks uh, or getting candidates elevated into these positions. I think that Oklahoma would, would benefit very well from having ranked choice voting uh, so that people could really vote aligned with their, their values and not be forced into a decision between two folks who they might not agree with at all. It's it's complicated here. A lot of indigenous people are going to cross party lines this election to vote for, you know, Joy Hoffmeister or in the um, the state superintendent race, uh, Gina Nelson, because we have folks who are very clearly publicly and unequivocally attacking our ability to, you know, exercise our sovereignty, our ability to teach the history of our people, um, you know, with the uh, you know, we call it the CRT bill, but it's really, it doesn't even say CRT anywhere within the language, but HB 1775 here in Oklahoma is something that has been wielded as this, this tool to, to silence the history, the dark history 
in many ways of what happened to our people and, and other groups who are, uh, who've been marginalized. And so I think next week, this week, you know, there's early voting. So anyone in Oklahoma who's listening, please go vote early. Um, we're going to see a lot of folks cross party lines because this election really could mean, you know, life or death as far as what we know our sovereignty to be. Yeah, absolutely. And Oklahoma notorious for historically having low voter turnout. So, uh, Sarah, uh, do you think we'll see an increase in native voters this midterm? I do. I absolutely do. You know, we've got ICWA that's going to be uh, heard, the Brackeen v. Holland decision um, before the Supreme Court on November 9th. And, you know, we don't know what the Supreme Court is going to do. And so a lot of folks are, uh, you know, having the conversations about, you know, what do we do to protect ICWA to protect our children? And the answer is going to lie in Congress. And so we're really looking at people, at candidates critically to, to see, you know, is this person going to have our back? And that's what it all comes down to, whether, you know, you're affiliated with a Republican, Democratic Party, Independent Party, uh, you have to look at each person and say, like, will this person have any countries back when it matters? Um, you know, even with Tom Cole and Mark Wayne, they have done, they have supported a lot of the policies that we're, we're looking for them to support in Indian country. But then if you look at their, their larger voting record, you know, we've got folks who vote against practically every piece of legislation that would safeguard our environment from mass pollution or, you know, every piece of legislation that would ensure that women have access to health care. And so it's, it's complicated because we really have to look at the intersection between these very clearly Indian country uh, centric pieces of legislation and then the other things that they vote for as well. And I also do want to know um, Madison Horn, she is running for Senate, United States Senate to um, uh, replace James Linkford. And she is actually a Cherokee Nation citizen as well. Okay. And Sarah, you mentioned uh, women and health care. And is access to abortion an issue in Oklahoma like it is elsewhere? It seems like voters there would favor really strict uh, abortion measures. Oh, it's absolutely an issue here. It really, really is. Um, you know, we are almost always leading the country um, in restricting women's access to health care, um, access to abortion care. You know, we have Kevin Sitt, who recently signed what has been called the most radical and extreme uh, abortion ban in the country. And, you know, there are, and of course, you know, Native people are very diverse. Like we, we span the political spectrum, but historically, ancestrally, our people had, um, you know, ways of, of providing this kind of health care for our people. And we should have the right to, to take care of our, ourselves and, and not have restricted access to health care. Sarah, what about independents? Uh, do they have any sort of a swing vote coming up next week that, that we need to be mindful of? Oh, I, I really I really believe that we do. Um, I think that we're going to see a lot of, in the coming years as well, a lot of Native people who are going to align themselves more with the independent party because we are just not seeing a ton of support um, from the party level here in Oklahoma from either the Republican or Democratic Party, honestly. Um, and it's not that, you know, folks are from the Democratic side are antagonistic towards Indigenous rights. It's just that there's a, a lack of understanding and I understanding of with the education system in the United States 
you know, our lack of knowledge about Native peoples is very intentional. Uh, but we have to have the will to learn. And I think that we're entering into a new era of empowerment for, for Native voters and for Native people. And so we're going to have expectations of folks that, you know, if you want our vote, you're going to have to earn it. We're speaking with Sarah Gray. She's a partner at the Muskogee Nation-based PR firm, STCOM's shop, and she's providing insights and uh, perspectives on next week's midterm election in the state of Oklahoma. Of course, the big news, uh, uh, one of several high-profile races is Cherokee Nation citizen Kevin, Kevin Stitt who Principal Chief of the Cherokee Nation, Chuck Hoskin Jr., has called the most anti-Native governor in Oklahoma history. We sure would like to get some calls from Oklahoma today and hear your thoughts on Governor Stitt and any of these other candidates that are in the races. 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This Native American Heritage Month, remember one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're doing a breakdown of the Oklahoma ballot, but we also want to hear from you, our listeners. What's your perspective on the Oklahoma races? Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our third guest on the show today is joining us from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Reese Gorman is a political reporter for the Frontier. Reese, welcome to Native America Calling. Oops, doesn't look like we've got Reese on the line. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go back to Allison. Allison. Yeah, Reese, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. Okay, no worries. No worries. Just want to introduce you to the show. And uh, Reese, no, we just uh, we can't stop talking about this big governor's race next week. Governor Kevin Stitt up for reelection. Um, and uh, you broke some news about Governor Stitt recently regarding some questionable expenditures tied to COVID relief aid to families. How does this reflect on the governor and is it having an impact on his campaign? Um, I, I think it's, oh, yeah, so the, the expenditures were the gear funds, the governor's emergency education relief funds. Um, and they kind of wanted to, they did a trial school voucher run with these funds where some of the parents spent money on things that weren't allowed, like TVs and couches. And, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't turn out very well. There's a scathing audit that came out that was kind of very critical of federal audit, and this audit process started under the Trump administration. There, um, Betsy DeVos, um, her education department. Um, so this wasn't like a partisan attack on them, or anything, because it started under the Trump administration, and I, I think it was just more so. It was it was a no bid contract. They they weren't required to bid this out, um, but they they didn't bid it out, and they got this contract to this private company that um, also there were no safeguards in place. Um, although they did have the opportunity to implement the safeguards, and I think um, now I don't think this one thing like is a solely affects the race, but I think it's a lot of things together. Whether it be the Swadley issue with the barbecue. Um, restaurant on the state parks or it be 
the year funding or the um, commissioner of the land office scandal that the Tulsa world reported on. Um, and I, I think all these things kind of come together that might affect it somewhat a little bit um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Reese, I mean, let's just uh, think ahead here uh, a week from now when this election is over, what's it going to mean if, if governor Kevin Stitt wins and what's it going to mean if he loses? Um. I mean, if he wins, I guess it just shows with all the uh, money being spent against him, all the all the dark money. I, I guess it means that Oklahoma is really just a deep red state. Uh, if you could spend $25, $30 million of outside money and you still can't get a Democrat elected, um, that's, that, that speaks a lot about just the electorate in Oklahoma and, and how conservative they really are. And I think that really just um, – dampens the hopes of Dem- that Democrats might have um, when it comes to elections in Oklahoma, especially statewide elections. Um, if he loses, I guess it means that he, I, he has made a good amount of enemies. And I guess it means that you just, that Oklahoma is not as deep red as, as, a, as, a, as people might, might think it is. And also means that, I mean, you could spend this $25, $30 million of outside money and elect a candidate. Which, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's only what it means that you could spend that, like a lot of money and you could get a Democrat elected, and even in deep red Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, solid red state. Has that always been the case there in the Sooner State? Deep red, heavy Republican. To be fair, no, it's only been recently. It's to in in the grand scheme of history. Um, I mean, we it was almost impossible to get a Republican elected until statewide until. Um, I would say maybe mid eighties, late nineties, uh, mid eighties, early nineties. Um, I could be wrong on that. I'm not fully up to date on my history, but, um, around there. And even we had a democratic governor as early as, um, right before Mary Fallon in 2000, in 2006, we elected a democratic governor for their second term. Um, and so, and, but Republicans have had control of the legislature since 2006 uh, or 2008. I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. but it has not always been a deep red state, but they've always been more so conservative Democrats. It's been the more rural Democrats um, that are more conservative. And I think a lot of people ran as Democrats because that's where everyone was registered to vote. Everyone was registered as a Democrat. I think over time they started shifting more to the Republican Party registering rise, not necessarily belief rise. I think when they were registered as Democrats, they were very, very conservative. They were not some more liberal progressive democrats that we think of now um so i think they did just started realizing oh we're just going to change our party affiliation not necessarily our beliefs i think their beliefs stay the same for the most okay. part so it's, it's always Reece, been yeah. i i, I want to ask you redistricting how has that impacted uh these different political areas in, in oklahoma and uh how's that going to continue to play out in the years ahead yeah um, I think it really mostly just influenced CD5 and CD3, where Stephanie Bice is currently the representative of Congressional District 5. I mean, in 2020, it was Kendra Horn who was the incumbent, and she was in a tight race, and um, and Bice only nearly beat her out. Um, and so, obviously, with Republicans having the governor's office, having both chambers of the legislature, um, they wanted to shore up that seat. So they kind of split it off, gave CD5 some more rural areas, and gave CD3 parts of Oklahoma City. And 
I think I mean I think it's gonna it's gonna be Republican for quite a while now because they really did kind of shore it up. It went from a Trump plus uh, eight district to Trump plus fifteen, I believe, which is pretty big. It's a pretty big shift. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Let me go ahead and bring Allison Herrera back into the conversation. And, and Allison, I'd like you to chime in as well on this issue of redistricting and uh, the native vote specifically. I mean, and how has redistricting impacted native voters in Oklahoma? Um, I have to profess uh, that I have not been following redistricting as much as Reese has, um, but I would agree that that has affected you know, that that has affected those two districts um, very much in, in just. I would just have to agree with what Reese was saying. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, I haven't looked at the breakdown about the population of indigenous voters in those two districts, but, you know, again, just going back to like crossing party lines to vote for one or the other, it's really about like it's issues based and not really necessarily like one, one party or the other. Okay. And Sarah Gray, I, I, I'd like to ask you as well, anything to add to the redistricting issue here in Oklahoma? So, our process, I know we had a lot of uh, pushback from different organizations who were not uh, thrilled with the, the transparency or, or the, I guess, the willingness to hear from, from folks in a, in a real way. You know, you see in other states, uh, they, like California, for instance, they can have a really, um, or they have a history of, of really bringing a lot of diverse voices to the table. You know, you have stakeholders from many communities who are involved in the process and that's just not something that we saw here in Oklahoma. So I think any decision that's made for us without us is not going to be um, in the best interest of, of the majority of folks here in Oklahoma. Well, Reese, here we are less than a week away, uh, counting the days before the polls open and uh, any kind of last minute changes or anything kind of 11th hour politically that we need to be mindful of in these final days? I'm going to be honest, in this day and age, I think with early voting, with uh, mail-in voting, I think that the days before an election are not nearly as important when it comes to campaigning. I think a lot of people have already made up their minds. I think a lot of people have already voted, um, not the majority of people, but I do think a lot of people have voted already or at least have requested their ballot. Um, barring someone getting arrested or anything like that, I really don't think that there's much things that can sway an election happening between now and Tuesday, November 8th. Mm -hmm. I really just don't see it with how Early voting started yesterday. People have been mailing in their ballots for a week now, so or a little over a week, maybe. Um, I mean, but so I really don't see much sway happening between now and Tuesday. I think it's just there's already so people have already made up their minds for the most part. You're not going to really change anything, and like I said, a lot of people have already voted. Reese, what kind of feedback are you getting on your reporting? I, I, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a good mixture. It depends on who you ask, I guess. Um, I think um, people find fault in my reporting and people also love my report. I think it's just depending on what the story is. I, I, I hear from critique from both, both uh, supporters of both candidates and I hear praises from supporters of both candidates. It, it really is just, I, I, I do it not, I, I, the feedback is great. Uh, but I always know that people who are giving me this feedback have their own kind of opinions on the matter and stuff. I'm just trying to give the facts and just give what's happening, what's going on, on the ground, just allow people, give people the information to make an informed decision when they go to the polls, whatever that may be. 
And as long as I'm doing that, um, I can take negative feedback. I can take positive feedback because ultimately my, my job is not to make people happy or make people upset. It's just to tell the truth. And that's ultimately my, the goal of mine. Okay. Let's go back to Allison. And Allison, you know, on Native America Calling, we are a national show. We have Native folks and non-Native listeners from all over the country. And and what do those folks need to really be paying attention to and really understand about this Oklahoma election next week? Um, I think that, you know, everything that Reese was just talking about, about, um, you know, getting what the the election result next week um, will determine, you know, like, yes, is Oklahoma going to stay a red state or are they capable of being, I would say they would be like, perf, like deep purplish if we get Hoffmeister um, elected. I think, you know, a lot of people have, um, you know, Joan Hoffmeister isn't, you know, your typical progressive liberal candidate. She's even, I think I saw some campaign literature of hers that was like, I am not, um, with them, and she, there was a picture of Sid and President Biden and a, another candidate, and you know, really trying to craft herself as, um, you know, um, as a Democrat, you know, as a an outlier Democratic candidate. I think somebody that's not like your, um, you know, progressive liberal, you know, liberal candidate, but more that's like a, you know, conservative, um, you know, middle of the road candidate. And so I think, you know. To me, I think the biggest things to pay attention to in this Oklahoma race is definitely, um, you know, who is in, you know, the governor and the attorney general um, and their relationship um, going forward, because uh, Sarah mentioned uh, the Brackeen case gets heard before the Supreme Court next week. Uh, one of the parties to that case is the Cherokee Nation. Um, and Oklahoma has been, um, a number of Oklahoma cases uh, have gone before the Supreme Court and and have has the ability to very much affect it, federal Indian law going forward. And that's one thing I think people need to be paying attention to. Um, the, Bra the outcome of the Brackeen case, there's a case um, out of Washington State. I think um, you, you may have covered, you may have um, had an episode about it about the called the Maverick case. It's a um, a case ch challenging the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. Uh, I, I definitely that's a that's a case to watch. Um, and I think that Oklahoma will have a you know ha will have a say in it. That depending on how that case goes, Oklahoma could weigh in. And I think there's also a number of um, challenges to. Uh, the tribal sovereignty cases that are working through the courts right now, one that I'm reporting on um, out of Cardo County. And then um, then if you notice, what well, I don't know if you did a story about this, but there was a another case that came out of Oklahoma from the governor's office, from the AG's office, uh, asking the court to weigh in on who is who, who can be defined as, as an Indian. And the, the court, the Supreme Court, um, U.S. Supreme Court defined to hear, declined to hear that case. But again, uh, you know, Oklahoma is bringing a number of these um, federal Indian legal issues to the fore, and I think it's it's through the governor's office and it's through the attorney general's office. And so that's one thing that that I that I will be watching in the coming, uh, you know, after um, after the race is decided next week. Sarah Gray, anything to add in terms of why Indian country should care about next week's election in Oklahoma? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we have a Supreme Court that we cannot rely on to um, to follow, uh, you know, things that have been laid out by the Congress, things that have 
been established through our treaties. And so a lot of these things that we're worried about, whether it's ICWA or, you know, looking at the missing and murdered indigenous women um, crisis, a lot of these things are going to require congressional solution as far as our sovereignty and our reservation statuses are concerned. Those are things that we have to have folks in office who are going to honor the treaties and not break those promises. I think Oklahoma is going to be an incredible example for the nation and Indian country on how Native people uh, will absolutely cross party lines to vote for folks who are going to respect tribal sovereignty. You have, you know, even even folks here who are who are not Native but live in rural Oklahoma, they live in communities where, you know, the county might not pave the roads, but the tribes do. They have, you know, education funding being siphoned out constantly, and tribes are making massive investments in our education. Cherokee Nation, just for instance, my tribe, we, you know, fund volunteer fire departments. We build tornado sirens, uh, water purification treatment centers. We do all of these things for the entire community, and that doesn't mean these things are, are only to benefit tribal citizens. They're to benefit our neighbors who are in community with us as well. I think that's something that Kevin Stitt has really missed the mark on, and I don't know if he just has bad consultants or what it is, but his attacks on Indian country and our tribes here, they are not a progressive or conservative issue. Supporting Indian country is not a progressive thing to do. It's just the right thing to do. And that's why you saw so much pushback from rural Oklahoma whenever he started the initial fight over our gaming compacts and then further in McGirt, because those folks know the tribes care about them. They care about the communities and the, the well-being and the health of the communities. Our rural health care system is almost gone completely, but in those areas, we still have tribal health care. So, I mean, if even your the leadership of your own party and the state Senate and the state House don't support you and they are hardline Republicans, you know there's an issue. So I just encourage everyone to vote your conscience, vote your values, um, and make sure that you're voting for folks who are going to have Indian countries back. Election in Oklahoma and across the country, elections coming up next week. I want to thank our guests, Allison Herrera, Reese Gorman, Sarah Gray, and Alan Wright. For Native insights and updates on next week's election, specifically in Oklahoma. Join us tomorrow as we talk about the Native tradition of stickball. Thank you for listening. I'm Sean Spruce. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. How Piki. Enroll in healthcare coverage through CMS today and keep your health care protected all year long. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids, Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.